We are uh, continuing on in this series called uh, Carols of Christmas. And uh, just as a reminder, a, a Christmas carol is different than the, the secular songs that you hear on the radio or in the mall in the sense that a Christmas carol tells the story of how God left heaven to come to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ to bring hope and salvation to this world. And so far, we have looked at and studied uh, the, these three Christmas carols, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O Holy Night, and O Come, All Ye Faithful. And today, we're going to look at a fourth Christmas carol called Away in the Manger. And without a doubt, this Christmas carol is a sentimental favorite for many. Uh, but it, there's a lot of mystery that surrounds this Christmas carol. For example, we don't know who wrote this Christmas carol. Uh, it first appeared on the scene in some Lutheran Sunday school curriculum way back in 1885. So yay, Lutherans, y'all but, but we really still don't know who wrote it. Uh, we can, we, some, people, uh, some people think that it was Martin Luther in Germany. Some people think it originated here in America. Uh, regardless, it's a popular Christmas carol, especially among the kids. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to sing this first stanza of this Christmas carol with me and uh, with someone else who will be up here in just a minute. There's Jamie. And, uh, or you can just listen to me and that would be bad. So it'll be good that Jamie's here. Um, but we're going to sing this. And as we sing this, here's what I want you to do. Okay, here's what I want you to do. As you sing this song, I want you to think, I want you to picture that first Christmas. Okay, that, that little baby in the manger, Jesus. Okay, and I want you to specifically think about the humble environment, and the simple nature in which he was born. Okay, so let's sing. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. Little Lord Jesus, asleep on the hay. Awesome. Thank you. I think we can thank them for that. So, so again, well-loved song, right? People sing this in their sleep. It's just such a popular song. The problem is that sometimes people tend to think of this song as really just nothing more than a cute song for kids. And... And yet that, I think, overlooks the miraculous power and the significance that it surrounded Jesus' birth. For example, as you look at that first stanza, you see that Jesus had no crib for his bed. And if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you know why, right? You know it's because Joseph and Mary showed up at Bethlehem and there was no place for them to stay. And so, yeah, Jesus was born in a stable and laid in a manger, right? The son... The Son of God was born in a primitive shelter made for animals, placed in a feeding trough out of which animals ate. And I can pretty much guarantee you that that feeding trough was not lined with nice cushions and pillows, but with hay and straw. And honestly, I can't think of a more humbling environment for a baby, any baby, and yet that's exactly the situation in which Jesus was born. And keep in mind, this is God. Okay, this is God, God, the only God, the God of the universe, okay, a God who is mentioned again and again in this next phrase, the little Lord Jesus. 
And that's an adorable phrase, isn't it? Oh, Jesus. And when we sing that, I don't know, for me, I'm focusing more often on this word, the word little. Where you think about Jesus as this little six-pound, eight-ounce baby. He's all warm and cuddly and cute. And he's got that new baby smell, right? See, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. But really, the most important word is the next word. It's the word Lord. Right? That's the most important word. I would actually argue the most important truth of this entire carol is that it identifies Jesus as Lord. Jesus was Lord yesterday, Jesus is Lord today, and Jesus will be Lord forever. Jesus is Lord. So my focus today isn't going to be on Jesus as that cute little baby who laid down his sweet head, but on Jesus as Lord. And I get it. I realize that the word Lord, <laughs> that's not a very, it's not a word we use in America today. And in fact, if you hear the word, it's usually in a bad kind of way or in a negative kind of connotation. But I think we need to understand what that word means because the New Testament refers to Jesus as Lord over 700 times. Holy smokes. And I tell you what, if anything in the Bible is mentioned more than 700 times, it's significant. It is. So, so what I want to do is I want to look at what it means that Jesus is Lord. Luke 2, verse 11. This is the angel. He's announcing to the shepherds on the hillside that very first Christmas. Read this with me, please. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So right off the bat, right at Jesus' birth, he is established that the Lordship of Jesus is established. Right? He, this is not just any old baby that's being born here. This is the Savior of the world, and he is Lord. And all of us get that. Right? We know that. But here's the problem. We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. We like to call the shots. We like to do what we want to do. So even though we may know in our minds, Jesus is Lord, even though we may go up to people and say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. I don't know if we fully understand what that means. Because in the Greek, the word Lord means supreme authority or controller. And by definition, people get tripped up on that, especially the word controller. Right, Because as human beings, we like to be in control. So my question is, what does it mean for you if Jesus is Lord? Right? What, if Jesus is Lord, what does that mean for your marriage? What does it mean for your career? If Jesus is Lord, what does it mean for your dating relationships? Or the quality of work that you produce in your classes or at your job? If Jesus is Lord, like we say he is, what does that mean for you and the choice of words that you choose when, or that you use when you speak to another human being? Or even how you act when no one else is around to watch? What does it mean for you if Jesus is Lord? Now, I think before we go there, we need to maybe step back and ask a different question, and the question is why? Why should Jesus be Lord of your life in the first place? It's a valid question. Why should, why should it matter if Jesus calls the shots? Why should Jesus be in charge and in control? And the answer, believe it or not, is relatively simple. The believers, the answer is because it's a matter of love, right? You want Jesus to be Lord because you love Jesus. 
In fact, in John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So as a child of God, through faith, right, God's desire is that you would want to love him back, that you would want to let him be Lord and be in control, that you would want to do what he wants you to do, and you would want to do it because he loved you first and came to this earth to be your savior. Right? In John, 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And there are many, many ways by which you can love Jesus back. One of those ways is to take his wisdom and his guidance and apply it to your life. To let him be in control. So the why, the, the reason why Jesus should be Lord of your life is because he loved you and you just, you just that's the way you can love him back. But now back to the other question. What does that look like for you? What does it mean if Jesus is Lord? What does that mean for you? And it means a couple of things. And that's what I want to spend some time on today. First, what it means is that as your Lord, Jesus offers you forgiveness and salvation. These, of course, are amazing blessings that God brings to you and that are available to you, not because, of course, you achieved them or earned them. You couldn't possibly, because like everybody else, you are a sinner. And it's sin that causes you to want to be in control, to want to call the shots, to be Lord. And it is sin that pushes you away from God, right? Sin separates you from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Would you read this first part of verse 2 with me, please? Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So sin pushes you away from God's presence, right? It's what makes you do what you want to do and not what God wants you to do. Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We're doing what we want to do. Sin pushes you away from God. Second thing about sin is that it has the capacity to separate you from God forever, for all eternity. That's bad news. As we hear in the Bible, it says the wages of sin is death. And death, not in the sense that when you really get old, then you die death. But death is in eternal separation and punishment. Death. The bad kind of death. And if nothing is done about your sin problem, nothing is going to change that. And you're going to miss out on heaven good news is God did do something about your sin problem. He came here in the person of Jesus Christ and he died for you. 1 John 2 verse 2 says, and Jesus, that's he, he is the payment for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right? So for every bad decision, every dirty thought, every cutting remark, every hurtful action, Jesus died. And because Jesus died for your sin, because he died for you, you are forgiven and saved. Those are your blessings because Jesus is Lord. And it's because you didn't earn it. It's not because of anything you've done. It's because he earned it for you. Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So, yeah, right off the bat, we know that Jesus was born in a stable, laid in a manger where he laid down his sweet head, But we also know that that little baby is Lord. And as your Lord, Jesus offers you these amazing gifts of forgiveness and salvation. Thanks be to God, right? Yeah, that's an amen to that. You guys, come on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 
This is, this, is, this is amazing. But it gets better. As your Lord, Jesus also offers you, he wants you to trust his leadership. This is another blessing. He wants you to trust his leadership. The all-wise, all-powerful God is going to lead and guide you. What a blessing, right? But again, we get tripped up because we're sinners and we have this control thing going on in our life. And, and again, we know Jesus is Lord. We may even believe that because Jesus died, we are forgiven and saved. But we still have areas of our life over which we hold control. Just this, it might be this area, it might be that area, or it might be this area over here, but it's still under our control. Jesus is Lord, but not over these, these areas. And that's why Jesus asked this question in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Right? If, if you do not listen to Jesus, if you do not follow Jesus, if you do not do what Jesus tells you to do or go where Jesus wants you to go, then you're just pretending Jesus is Lord. Right? And, and we know, that we know this, this phrase, right? Talk is cheap. But that happens with us as Christians. We walk around saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Oh, my goodness, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my Lord. And yet we live a life that doesn't reflect that. Let me give you an example of this. Okay, I got this Bible here. And let's just say I take my Bible and I say, Jesus, oh, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You are the Lord of everything in my life. But as I, as I look here in the Bible... I see what you have to say about money, and um, this is money I worked hard to get, Lord, and, uh, and I, I'm sorry, I, I mean, you're Lord, Jesus, you are Lord, but I don't know if I can fully trust you in this area of my life, so I'm going to just take back control of that area of my life. And, oh yeah, Jesus, I, you're Lord, you're Lord, but I, I see what it says here about sex, and you know, that's not what everybody else is doing. And so, sorry, I mean, you're Lord, but I'm taking back control of this area of my life, too. And, and oh, yeah, I, I see what you say here about work. I'm supposed to be a light amongst my coworkers. And, wow, great verse. Boy, I love the way it sounds. But, man, if they find out I'm a Christian, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of what they might think, that they have to act differently around me, and I just want to fit in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take this back, too. And then... Oh, yeah, there's this part about my family. No, I'm not going to give you that control. That's mine. And, and then the relationships, uh, I'm, I'm going to take back control of there, that area. And, but Jesus, you're Lord. But, um, oh, yeah, and then there's these, this, section, this section right here on bad habits. You know, I'll give you some of my habits, but some, there's a couple of habits I think I'm just going to hang on to for a little bit. You get it, Jesus, right? You're Lord. You're Lord. And then, oh, there's this thing on addictions. Yeah, I'm not ready to give up that either. You see how it works? You see how it works? It's easy to say Jesus is Lord. Oh my goodness, he's Lord all over the place. And yet, not actually live that way. And there are Christians who, there are Christians who say that they follow Jesus, that Jesus is the Lord, and yet they are so quick to just take God's truth and rip it right out of their life. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. If I'm really gonna be Lord, of your life, I need you to completely trust me on this. 
I need you to completely trust me and, and, and let me be in control. Let me call the shots. And, and Jesus wants that, not because he gets a, a, you know, a rush out of being in control, but because he loves you and he's smarter than you and he wants to bless you. Jesus knows you're not perfect. He knows that if you are left to call the shots on your own, you make a mess out of your life more often than not. And your life tends to just spiral, do a tailspin. And it impacts other areas of your life and that in turn impacts other people in your life. So here's what I'd like to just challenge you to do. I'd like you to pause for a moment and just think about your life. Think about all of those areas of your life and think about areas that may still be under your control. And maybe to help you with this, um, I've listed in the sermon outline, which is on the inside of the back cover of your worship folder, there are a, a few of them that I've come up with. Now, these, of course, is, uh, you know, this is not an exclusive or exhaustive list. Uh, there may be other things, but if you see something over which you still hold control, go ahead and circle it, but just keep it to yourself. So it's just between you and God. Maybe put a little X by it, whatever. And maybe you don't know what it is that's, that's still under your control. So if you're looking for a hint, here's, what I would, here's my hint for you. If it's an area where you're struggling, okay, and, and you want to know where, where is it that I still hold control, it's the area where you are most worried. And here's why I say that. When you're worried about something, it's because you've pulled the control away from God. If you are worried about something, it's because you've pulled the control away from God. So, so what, where, where are you? And you're like, what are you still hanging on to? What were you still needing to let go of? Jesus says, ask me for your help. I'll, I'll help you loosen the grip, all right? And then trust me, because I'm trustworthy. Proverbs 3, 5. Would you read this verse with me, please? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And I know that you know this, but I also know myself that it can be hard because you may not be sure of something or it might be something that you're going to be doing that's unfamiliar or you might be afraid that if you do it, you're going to miss out on something good. You know, everybody else is enjoying it or it might be something that you're going to, you know, something valuable you'll lose. I don't know. Jesus says, trust me. I am trustworthy. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Jesus is trustworthy. You can trust his wisdom. You can trust his guidance. You can trust him. And so, as your Lord, Jesus wants you to trust his leadership. Third, what does this mean? If Jesus is Lord... Third, what it means is that as your Lord, Jesus wants you to faithfully follow him. And he wants you to faithfully follow him in a every day, throughout the day kind of way. All right, and here's why. Jesus is not a part-time Lord. And he is not looking for part-time followers. Nor is this kind of a deal where if you follow Jesus faithfully once, then you're good. You're golden for the rest of your days. No, 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 no. You have sin still within you. And it's that sin that is going to battle uh, between you and Jesus over control. 
I guarantee every day you are going to surrender, your, you're, going to, you're going to give control to someone or you're going to be tempted to give control to someone or something else. Every day. And, and so I just, you know, want you to understand that Jesus wants you to trust him. To trust him for it. That's why Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he, would deny, he must deny himself and, de- and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus wants you to trust him, to follow him faithfully. But to do that, you need to keep in mind maybe a couple of things. First of all, look at this word cross. Okay, when you are faithfully following Jesus, it helps to keep in mind the cross. Let the cross be a reminder of two truths. Number one, of course, Jesus' sacrifice. Right? He was born as a baby, laid down his sweet head in a manger, but he grew up to give his life in death for the sins of the world. But second, let that cross also be a reminder that following Jesus requires sacrifice on your part. Right? Following Jesus is rarely the easiest path. And I would argue it's hardly ever. But that's what Jesus calls you to do. Faithfully follow him. And to do it, second word to look on, is daily. Every day Jesus says, I want to be your Lord. Because I know better than you. And I want to bless you. Let me be your Lord. Let me call the shots in your life. Trust me. Every day Jesus wants you to be willing to sacrifice what you want to do for what he wants to do. Now, to help you with this, as a congregation, a couple months ago, we rolled out this, this vision where we, got, we believe God is calling us to exchange everyday life for contagious Christian community. And to help you with that, we had these little stickers created that you can put everywhere you want, wherever you want. But on those stickers are four key practices, and they're called practices because you want to practice them. And you want to orient your life around these four questions. How am I connecting with God? How am I following his lead? How am I loving others? How am I restoring um, relationships? And, and the, the question I want to look at today, just looking at the fact Jesus is Lord, is that second question, how am I doing following God's lead? How am I doing following the example of Jesus, for example, when it comes to being forgiving or generous or kind or patient? How am I doing with that? How am I doing when it comes to following Jesus' example and saying, Lord, your will be done in my life? And again, I get it. It's hard. It's hard. It's stinking hard. You, you, it's easy to ignore God and to want to do what you want to do, to be in control. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, personal experience right here, that when you do that, when I try to insist on my will over God's will, it messes it up. It makes it worse. Okay? It makes my life more painful, more difficult, more stressful. So along with maybe that question, here's another suggestion. Again, just to keep in mind, your goal is to keep Jesus as Lord and you out of the control seat, right? To be out of the, keep yourself out of making, you know, decisions and, and being in charge. So here's, what, here's the other suggestion. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, we all know the Lord's Prayer. Most of us all know that Lord's Prayer by heart. When you're praying that prayer and you get to this part in Matthew 6, I want you to think about what it means, for Jesus to be Lord. Now, I'd like you to read this, okay? This is Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Let's read this section alone, okay? Let's just read this together. You will be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so what you are saying there, again, keeping in mind, the goal here is to, you know, Jesus, your Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want your will to be done in me. 
You're saying, Lord, may your will be done in my life every day throughout the day here on earth, just like it's being done in heaven every moment of every day by all the angels. Your will be done in me here on earth, just like it's being done in heaven. That's what you're saying. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer in just a couple of minutes, I want you to think about that. When we get to that point, say, yes, Jesus, every time I'm making the decisions and calling the shots, I'm making life worse. So may your will be done in my life. Even if it's not what I wanted, even if it's not what I planned, may your will be done in me. 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world that he came to this earth. He was born in a stable and laid in a manger. And that little baby who laid down his sweet head, we now know, we have learned, we celebrate that he is Lord. He is your Lord. He is my Lord. He is the Lord of this universe. So with that in mind, let me just give you a couple of challenges for this week. First of all, let me just challenge you to connect with Jesus this week and worship him as your Lord. Right? He, he, he loves you. He came to this earth for you. He died and rose again for you. Worship him. Praise him. But as George mentioned a moment ago, do, don't do it alone. Bring somebody else with you. And don't just bring your spouse because they're going to go to church with you. That doesn't count. I'm talking about inviting a friend or a neighbor who may not show up for church. And you may know that for whatever reason. Invite them. The majority of people who come to church for the first time come because they were asked. People want to go to church on Christmas. They're just waiting to be asked. So maybe you want to use this little invite card that we have available. They're out there in the, the lobby area on our ministry spotlight table. As you go out, turn left, there's a table on the windows. Grab a couple of those if you think that'll be helpful. On the back are all the worship service times. But invite them. At, offer to pick them up. Offer to meet them here, but invite them here so that they can know and connect with Jesus and worship him as their Lord too. He's not just your Lord, he's their Lord too. Second, identify areas where you might need to loosen your grip. Those areas that, that litter your life, right? Those areas right there. Those areas where you need to kind of need to, to let go of and... And ask God to help you to do that. Maybe you can look at your, your uh, sermon notes again and, and look at some of those things. Or maybe you want to write down a list of those areas that are still under your control as a reminder. Ask God, though, to help loosen that grip so that he can call the shots and lead your life down a path of blessing. And then the third thing is follow God's lead and follow God's will for your life. Follow the example of Jesus and say, God, may your will be done in me. Whether, I, whether it's what I wanted or planned, it doesn't matter. May your will be done in me because I trust you. I trust you because you love me and because you care for me and because you are my Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, God of this universe, we thank you that you came to this earth and laid down your sweet head in a manger 2,000 years ago. But we also thank you that along with being our Savior, you are Lord so empower us by your Holy Spirit that we might faithfully follow you and experience your blessing in every area of our life. We love you. We pray all this in the name that is above every name, the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.